Welcome to Successful Trader of the Month for January 2015. Before we get going, we would like to remind you that this presentation is for educational purposes only. We're not broker-dealers or financial advisors, and we're not making any specific trade recommendations. Also, please, please be aware that the risk in trading options is substantial, and make sure you're aware of all your risks prior to placing any trades. In this presentation, we may be doing live trades or we may be doing uh, hypothetical trades if we do any trade uh, demonstrations at all. In the event uh, we do do them, they uh, assume they're hypothetical unless otherwise noted. And if they are hypothetical computer simulated trades, they are believed to be as accurately represented as possible. However, live results may vary. So let's talk about Successful Trader of the Month. Successful Trader of the Month is a program that Shari and I had come up with to reward and honor those traders who have put in the work and as a result are doing awesome with trading. They receive the prestigious Lock in Your Success Successful Options Trader hat. Uh, successful Trader of the Month is also for you, the aspiring trader, because by having those successful traders share their experience with you, you'll hopefully gain some insightful um, tidbits and become inspired by knowing that it can be done and, the, and that there are many different paths in order to do so. A trader can qualify for successful trade of the month in several ways. First is to provide a trading plan in a recent trade that we evaluate and see how they've done. Second would be to stand out by helping others in the community. This might be through sharing useful information, providing guidance, or providing encouragement. And third might be as if I notice somebody who breaks through a significant barrier or overcomes a challenge. Uh, and fourth would be uh, for creativeness. In other words, someone who successfully adapted their trading to their unique personality, whether it be through one of my styles or someone else's, or even better, maybe something they came up with completely on their own. Today, I'm speaking with our successful trader of the month winner, Ryan Moffat. And Ryan was chosen due to the, the outstanding work he did in developing or adapting a bearish butterfly strategy to his needs. Uh, good morning, Ryan. Morning. One of the things that we often talk about here is uh, taking a strategy and adapting it to your own needs, and uh, I think you've you've just done that marvelously. Yeah, the well, it's funny that um, how it started out was just trying to like fill a kind of a small need, um, which I mean we'll talk about a little bit was more of an emotional thing than anything to try to uh, try to fix an emotional state. Um, but then it turned into um, turned into something where we really realized that really it worked a lot better with what we were trying to do, our goals for the trade. And then I'll kind of show you too. It, it turned into um, kind of an institutional product at that as well. So, um, but it all came out of just uh, just a need, a goal. So yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's it's been an interesting journey in the last year and a half for sure. Well, that's fantastic. How about, uh, you know what I think might be interesting if we just go back and maybe get a little bit of, back of your background. What's your, you know, did you, have you been trading all your life or what were you doing before trading? How long have you been trading and, and, and what's your experience been like? Yeah, the, um, you know, I just got done talking with a group at the University of Tennessee. We're, I'm, I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee. So um, I went to UT, uh, played baseball there, actually went to the College World Series um, in undergrad and then uh, really, when I got out of school, I um, got into land development, um, so totally different real estate. Oh, cool. Um, did well in that. Yeah, so did well in that, but um, I knew it really wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. Um, the problem was I never really took the time to figure out really what I wanted to do. Um, so then I left uh, that company, 
and started a, a company of my own with, with just a real estate investment company. Um, and really what I wanted to do was make a lot of money so then I could do what I wanted to do. Unfortunately, I never really figured out what I really wanted to do at that time. So I got into uh, real estate investments um, and property management, which I really did not like at all. And just, just like you know, John, if you really don't like doing something and you're not passionate about it, it generally doesn't succeed. And that didn't. It was a total flop, and I lost a ton of money doing that. Okay. But one thing it did do um, was it forced me to, uh, instead of trying to just make a lot of money, it just forced me to figure out really what I wanted to do. And so at that time, I um, looked at what I enjoyed reading, uh, what movies I like to see, growing up, what did I love, and it all boiled down to really the markets. Um, I mean, I would read books on hedge fund managers. I'd read books, old finance books. Uh, my favorite movie is Wall Street, and talking to my wife, Heather, uh, she kind of looked at me like I was an idiot saying, why haven't you done this in the first place? And then I saw uh, an old PBS documentary um, from 1986 on Paul Tudor Jones, and um, I don't know if you've seen this, John, but it's, it's called Trader. You can't find it anywhere. I've got a copy of it, but it actually documents him. Um, when he was trading uh, with his um, partnership, his hedge fund, and he's calling the crash of 87 and seeing the passion that he has for the markets and also philanthropically what he does, um, when I saw that, it totally crystallized my vision of, of what I want to do with my life. I was like, I don't care how much money I make, I just want to do that for a living. And so that kind of started my journey. This was 10 years ago, and right. from that point on, I was like, okay, I, I know what I want to do with my life. Can and I ask then, you um, a question, Ryan, for a second? Yeah. Or you maybe just bring up a point. And I, I, I think that most of us would agree that real estate management and land development, you can, you can be tremendously profitable in that. Uh, you know, you know, look at Donald Trump, our presidential candidate. The guy's a billionaire through, through real estate development. And it's a tremendously profitable thing. But you were in it for the money. And yeah, and because you're I was I was making a lot of money doing it. I mean, this is pre-crash, and we were in a bubble, and it was we were making great money. But it just got to the point where it's like, you know, money wasn't it. I mean, I was just like I wasn't happy. Right. I I think a lot of people get into trading for the money, and they never really make yeah. it as they never really make it as a trader. They're not successful because they're in it for the money. They're not in it because they love it. Well, I'll tell you what, and that, I'll, I'll bring up that uh, here in a little bit when we talk about kind of what we're doing now, um, because me and Tyler, I mean, we've, we've been working, going to a lot of conferences, working with family offices and institutions, and, and, and remind me a little bit later, bring up that point, because I would like to hit on that a little bit about being in it for the money. Um, but that's, that's where I was uh, with the, the real estate, and kind of coming out of uh, school, and that's what I talked about these students with, is I had the mindset of I want to make a lot of money so then I can do what I want to do versus just doing what I love to do. And making but money. Out. Is, yeah, <laughs> but taking the time to figure that out. Um, and it took me a while. I mean, when I hit bottom with my real estate investment, you know, we were losing all kinds of money. But it took me a few weeks to really think on it and say, really, what do I want to do? What do, what do I want my days to look like day in, day out? Um, and even through my trading career, I've had to continue to do the same things. And so, I mean, basically what happened is, is I went on that journey, and being in Knoxville, Tennessee, there aren't hedge fund managers around the corner here. So right. I actually cold called 50 hedge fund managers around the country. Three of them called me back. Two of them I still have good relationships with today. So um, 
that was kind of the first step, and they kind of mentored me on my journey uh, on that. And then I, I went back and got went back to school, got my MBA, and then I, I needed industry experience. So I, I, I've worked in the industry. So I've worked with a couple large uh, regional firms, more institutional investment firms. Uh, Martin Company here, they have about two billion dollars under management, and then Gulfstream Capital um, as well. But again, I knew. I didn't want to be an advisor. I knew I didn't want to work at a large firm. I wanted to trade. Um, and so throughout the entire time I was working at these, I was, I was trading. You know, John, I was part of, um, of Dan's program and um, mm -hmm. uh, kind of alongside with you and on a lot of other things, just trying to soak up everything possible. And I did all kinds of trading. You know, I did trend following. I did intraday, uh, equities, um, obviously options. Um, worked in futures, currencies, really just trying to see what fit my personality, um, really not knowing that, that what, I was, what I was doing, but that's exactly what I was doing, is, is going through and seeing what worked for me. And I knew that time frame-wise, fundamental stuff, really long-term wasn't for me because I, I wanted to see results. Um, right. But I knew intraday wasn't for me either because I didn't want to sit in front of the screen all day either. So I think that's one reason that really options for me um, kind of took hold because you can have that in-between time period of, you know, from a few days to a few months, just whatever um, strategy you're in. And so that kind of succession kind of brought me up um, to where, you know, the last couple years when it really started to flourish. And really, to be honest with you, John, is when we really started working together. Um, because here's one thing is, and John, you probably uh, you, you probably saw this too, and Dave, you probably saw this too. Is, is when you're really talking about what you want to do and trading for a living, most people are going to tell you you can't do that. Most people say it's not going to work. Right. And so I was so I was hearing that from everybody, and and when I was talking with with John and saying, hey, here's what I want to do. I want to run a fund doing this, and and John wasn't saying, hey, you can't do that. He was like, okay, well, let's plan for it. Okay, let's let's figure out how to do this. What are your goals with your profits? And it took me by surprise because most people, I was just used to them saying, no, you can't do this. No, this won't work. And we're still hearing this. I mean, me and Tyler, you know, it has been working for two years, and people still tell us it's not going to work, which is pretty interesting with the industry. Right. Well, see, you know, you get a lot of these people who are doing the directional trading, the day trading, the hedge funds, and they work so hard and put in so many hours to just try and beat the basic index. And if you beat the index, you're, you're this amazing um, hedge fund manager. And the reality is, that, is they just, they're, not, they're not open to the fact that there's another way to do it. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, and, you know, and, and, and kind of like, I mean, John, you brought up uh, one of the first times we met is when you're, you're speaking to someone, and, and I know in one of your seminars you were saying this, and someone said there's no way you can make over 10% a year. And you said, yeah, there's no way you can make over 10% a year because you've already locked your mind in to think that. I mean, if, if right. that's what you think, that's going to be your reality, period. And, and what we found is, is a, most, uh, a lot of people in the industry are, that's exactly the way it's locked into. Um, so it's you know, something we've got to deal with. But that gives a lot of opportunity. It's like going to a, a country without any shoes and you're selling shoes. It's a great opportunity, but you've got to educate people what shoes are. Yes, yeah, you definitely you definitely do. So so that's great. So I think so part of your and I think this is important too. One of the you know the things that you said is that you decided what you wanted and you set your goals. I think that's critically important with uh, with what you with trading. 
And I think a lot of people go into trading and they try stuff and hope to make money rather than actually setting goals and then figuring out how to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, when there's, there's two times professionally I've been extremely clear on what I want to do. I, I say professionally. One time was I got cut from my freshman high school baseball team, and I figured out I wanted to play big-time college baseball. And once I crystallized that vision, you know, once the why was in place, the how kind of fell into place. The how kind of just you started to figure out the plans. And then when I saw that PBS documentary with Paul Tudor Jones, I want to trade for a living, and then the how kind of takes takes place. And then it's it's kind of funny. Last year, when we had a, a specific goal of we need something to hedge our downside risk, that's just how it started, and that just set us okay. We need we have this this goal we need to hit. We need to plan around it and see what we can do. And the big thing is is not having preconceived notions or not trying to shoehorn something in, but really looking at the data and being very honest with it. Um, and really, John, to be honest with you, the last year when me and Tyler have gone through this, I think that's why uh, it's been so successful in that regard because we were very honest with all the data, not trying to make it work or not try to shoehorn it in to make it fit. Um, and that's probably one of the first times that I've done that in my trading career is just let the data speak for itself um, and let it you know, uh, kind of show you what it what it does or what it does not do um, versus wanting to work because I have to trade for a living or I have to make money this month um, and that that's been a big a big difference uh, with our trading. I I think that's an incredibly important distinction because uh, you know even back trading you say you 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 show somebody a strategy whether it be an M3 strategy or some Condor strategy or whatever and they go and they take that strategy and they try to adapt it so that it wins absolutely all the time rather than objectively looking at the strategy and saying when does it do well when does it do poorly you know when's the best time to trade these this when should I avoid it I think there's a, a very big distinction in going at it in one way versus the other way a hundred percent I mean and that's like I said when we when we focused on because um, and I guess I'll kind of come up to this. I was trading really the M3, and that was the main trade, and we were just utilizing the, the bearish flies, again, a hedge. So, you know, we were trying to break it. We were trying to say, we need to break this thing, shoot holes in it. We want this thing to fail. And the more we did this, the more it wouldn't. And it's just saying, okay, taking the opposite, almost the scientific aspect of it is like we have to, to really shoot holes in this thing versus trying to make it work. Um, right, and so right. taking an opposite look at it made a huge difference. It will, and it gives you more realistic results too. Because if you if you if your focus is on trying to make it work all the time, you actually go through your trading months, and as time goes by, you adapt the strategy to the market as you're back trading it. Right. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <clears throat> then you want to avoid that. You want to you want to know what's real, not what's uh, you know what, not what you put together. You don't want to fool yourself into thinking you have a perfect system, which there which yeah. one does not exist, by the way, right? Yeah, and a, and a big part of that too is, is knowing, and, and we've talked about this, John, is, is how it's actually going to execute, and how you're you're going to be able to execute it in certain certain market environments, certain times of the day, um, and really, uh, again, that has been a big thing with us is adapting that to the way we want to trade and the way we want to feel throughout the trading day, um, because a lot of times what I've found over the last few years is. A lot of times with trading, you're trading your emotions, not your system. Um, you you want to take, you know, it's the fear of loss and, um, and 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 all that, fear of missing out. So, you know, you really start being aware of that, and you start figuring out, hey, I want to take this profit, not because it's what's best for me, but it's what's going to 
get rid of the emotion that I'm feeling. And John, you more than anybody can you cover that well. Um, but once you kind of see that, and you're like, well, okay, so I'm just trading my emotions. I'm not really trading the strategy, and I'm not I'm not trading to make money. So right. um, once you really look at that and see, okay, you know, we had to set up firewalls um, in order to get in the way of that to make sure that regardless of what we're feeling, we follow the strategy come hell or high water because if we can just get out of the way of it, it's going to produce an incredible equity curve. Um, so that's been a big deal over the last years, us putting those into play of making sure that that we just follow follow the strategy as it was tested um, or as close to as, as it was tested as we can. Right. There's a, there's a big difference between making a trade because uh, because it makes you feel better or makes you it takes uh, stress off of you rather than making the, the decision because it's good for the trade. Absolutely, and most of the time, the best trades are the ones are the, that are the hardest to do. Right. Yeah. Some of your and you know we talk about that with um, particularly we have challenges with M three traders that go into bearish butterfly where they're taking on a lot of delta and the market's been going up for a while. And they're all stressed out because they start imagining the market's going to keep going up. It may it, it may keep going up. It may not. We don't know what it's going to do. But the reality is the trade's perfectly fine. But the the the, the months that really stress that trade out to one side often are your biggest winning months because when they come back, I mean, you just I mean, it's like a it's like a, a you know a windfall of money there. So well, and you know, well, I've got you know I'm going to run through kind of. Uh, a, a trade and it kind of shows that and it, it puts you in an un, the, the point where you're the most uncomfortable is the most profitable point you can be in because like you said when that thing comes back uh, underneath and that's that's why the bearish fly works I mean you take advantage of that market movement um, but it, it is if you got to get used to it but another thing too is for us is really doing the work in order to get a um, perspective on a trade meaning this is one uh, one month or even two months. That's just one or two data points out of an entire equity curve. So if it's one month or two months, if that's going to make or break your system, then you need to get another system because, or you need to get in a better spot of. I mean, with me, it was like I need to be better funded to where I'm not worried about one or two or three months or six months. And it's you're letting the the strategy work. And also knowing when it's going to work and when it's not going to work. Like if I'm in an right. environment, a 2013 type environment, I know not to expect too much from a bearish fly. It's just period. That's what it is, you know. And 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 there's other systems that work good in those environments, but just knowing that, not having the expectations of that, goes a long way. And it, it allows you to really push it when you need to be pushing it. Like now with higher volatility, and right. pulling back when you need to pull back, and having uh, managing those expectations. Yeah, I think that's, that's so important. And you know, a lot of the people, a lot of times, people think they have psychological pro uh, problems when they trade, but the reality is, all they all they have is they have process problems. They're not, they don't have a defined plan. They're trading with too much money. Um, they their expectations are just too high, or that they're, it's going to last for everything. And and that brings out a lot of problems that seem like a that come out on the psychological side, but they're really process problems. Absolutely, and, and they'll come out at some, somewhere. Um, if, if there's anything, if there's a weakness in your psychology, emotional, in your system, you're playing the market, I'll sniff it out. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's a process unto its own, is just constantly looking at your weak points, constantly trying to get better every single day. 
um, because you know optimize yourself and optimize your system and that's again that's why I love trading period because it's never a finished product ever um, which is great because um, we can always get better we can and I know we've done a lot of self-development work and stuff together how, how important do you think that was in your trading success um, I would say that the strategy is probably five percent and the self development is probably 95 percent of success in trading to be honest with you um, because if knowing myself and knowing what is good or what I need as a trading strategy um, because John I mean your systems work there's a million systems out there that work and they're positive expectancy if you can just follow them so why the big question is why can't people follow the system and it always boils down to themselves their psychology their emotional and what fits with their system or their expectations and so without the self-development there's no way you can be a big tra a, a, a great trader. And you read, you know, the books, the Market Wizard books. Any of those great traders, and it always boils down to they know their personality and they pair that with their strategy. And the the that's an assumption of you know your personality and you know your risk tolerances, and that all boils down to self development. You know, and and, and we do a lot. I mean, a big thing with us, the entire in our firm is is constant constant self development, which boils down to you got to feel good. You got to be healthy. You got to sleep, you, and that's just the start of it. Your brain has to be on on point. Um, you got to eat right, and then that's kind of the baseline, the foundation, and then boils into, um, you know, we do we we meditate. We make sure our mind is right and clear, um, and we read a lot. We have a quote of 250 to 300 pages a week that we have to read because we need to continue feeding our minds in that. Um, and, and constantly look at our emotional and be aware of what we're feeling, what we're thinking, because that all goes into trading. And for me, I want to be the best in the world and world class at this. And for me, I, I see that's the only way um, to do that. And so that's that's super important for us. So, like I said, I would say 95% of success boils down to that. Wow, that's that's a, that's a really high number, and you and what do most average traders do? They they run around looking for the system. I mean, it's I mean, John, it's unbelievable. It's, they always want the edge, and and even when we talk to our clients and everything, is they don't like they don't want to talk about the soft stuff. They say, you know, the self development, <laughs> you know, the awareness and everything. I'm like, this is the edge. That is a trader's edge, because the system is like John. You you would be able to trade another system and trade it fine, because you know yourself. You know your strengths. You know your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And like most traders are constantly, and I did that for a long time too. You know, jump from system to system, or trade to trade, or one options trade to the next. You know, depending on if the name sounds good, right? Because every options trade has a name for some reason. Right. Um, <laughs> but but it's it, you know it boils down. But and and when you finally figure out that okay, the only common denominator of all this losing is me. It's not each system. Then you start figuring out that well, maybe I need to work on me first and then start approaching, and, and it's even with assumptions or goals, like, why am I trading too big? Well, because I want to do this for a living. Well, am I, am I at a place to do this for a living? I mean, really digging in this, that sort of stuff. I mean, you're trading triangle stuff, John. It's really digging into the, the, the important stuff, because once you get that done, the system takes care of itself, to be honest with you, because you'll figure out what works for you, and it's easier to trade, um, you, you don't stress out about it all day because it, it matches your personality, and that's what really what happened with the bearish fly versus the M3 with me. The bearish fly, which, and like from the surface, I thought no way that I could trade the bearish fly. Too much gamma, too much risk, 
And when I really dug into it and did the research, I'm like, this really fits my goals and what I'm looking for out of the trade and, you know, for our, our profit. And, um, and it's been a totally different trading, and Tyler's seen it. I mean, when I was trading the M3, I would be stressed, stressed out, um, and I wouldn't know why. Um, and then once we transitioned over and did the work and put in the time, now, again, uh, we don't look for markets all day. Uh, our partners, we tell them we don't, don't call us, tell us about the markets. We don't care because we're going to look at them at a certain point during the day. Our decisions are already made because it's a mechanical strategy. We're going to uh, make the trade and not think about the result. We have our P&L covered up. We never look at our P&L. Um, and we make the trade and we're done. It takes about 5 to 15 minutes a day, and that's it. And our trading has been light years better because of that. Just not because of how we do it, but it fits our personality. And so, like I said, John, self-development is if that's the edge in trading. Right, and it, and it takes some self-development to not look at your P&L and to not trade when the market is intraday is down 30 points or whatever, or the Russell or, or something like that. Definitely takes some development there. Well, it's one of those, it's just figuring out, okay, why do I want to look at it? And asking those questions, what is my fear? Because like You want to said, feed your fear, that's why you want to look at it, right? <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, what am I afraid of? Now, with me, my, my big fear was, why I wanted to look at intraday was my fear was a, a an 87 crash type deal. I'm like, okay, well, I need to I need to figure that out. Well, that's basically saying I haven't emotionally accepted the risk that I'm taking with the trade. And I'm not saying with the position risk, but the over the overall position risk in the trade. And that's why when I got with the bearish fly, we can really uh, tailor our risk reward to where if the market goes to zero and sticks, and the the exchange is closed for a month or two months. We're okay with that loss. We're okay with it. And if I'm okay with that, then I don't really care what it does during the day because the worst thing it can do is go to zero and six. So if I'm okay with that, everything above that's gravy. And so once I got to that point, it's like, well, whatever happens, happens. We'll deal with it. And, and just having that point of view, I'm dealing from a position of strength versus weakness, and it's really kind of turned my trading upside down, which is great. Right, because then it's okay. Yeah, the interday moves are okay. You get these people; they trade way, way too large for their for their good, and um, they'll do that. And you know, we were talking about last night. We did a, a community coaching session, and how about how you know, you know? I think last time we talked on options drive, I, you know, we were saying, you know, in your point of view, the M3 is actually carries a higher risk than a bearish butterfly, and I agreed with you. And and people can't they can't wrap their head around that. And, uh, I mean, John, it's, I, it was funny because you were the only one to agree, and until you see it and you see how it operates in its environment, um, you don't believe it because it's really counterintuitive when you look at the models and you look at the T plus zero line. It is. And I wouldn't believe it either, and that's why kind of like when we were going through the, the testing of, of, you know, we just were looking for a hedge and we looked at the actual data and what it was telling us, it, it told us very clearly this is the way it operates with this amount of risk involved and putting it side by side with the M3, we just, it, 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 we didn't make the decision, the data made the decision for us saying this, this looks incredible. And John, I mean, obviously standing on your shoulders with that because you developed it. So, and the reason you know, because you've traded it through these environments, you know that it's incredibly robust. Um, but again, in its environment, I mean, in a super low volatility, grinding up environment, right. you know, it's a pain in the neck, you know, <laughs> <to> know <it. laughs> 
that it is. You know, you're in for a pain in the neck under those environments, and yeah, yeah, and and part of it is 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 starting to is figuring out how to identify those environments. Absolutely, and that's that's huge, and that's you know we we do that a certain way with with the price of the fly uh, and the uh, I mean we look at two things during our trades: the price of the fly uh, and the index price, and that's uh, and you know we'll, we'll go through an example and. Um, again, this is a very simple trade, and that's what um, is very interesting. It's it's very simple. Um, it's you know not much uh, off of now we we uh, tailor it to what our goals are for the trade, um, but it's very simple. I mean, we're using just uh, bearish flies, um, which which we love, but a lot of people want to want to look for more complicated strategies. And what we found is the simpler the better, because we can really see what's going on underneath the hood um, and un understand the trade. Yeah, simple can be simple can be very good. And the M3, we purposely make things complicated so people learn things. But um, eventually, a lot of that you can shed away and be more simple. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, so uh, would you like to do a demonstration, or do you have something uh, I can make you a presenter here? Uh, yeah, sure. Me, uh, okay, are you seeing my screen? Uh, yes, I am. Okay. So you can see Blackfear Capital there. We can see the big black pier. Okay, perfect, perfect. All right, so um, this is um, again my friend is Blacker Capital. Um, if you have any questions with us, info at Blacker Capital. Um, we have a website, BlackerCapital.com. Right, um, you're, you're not just trading your money in the bearish butterfly. You have clients' money in, in this strategy yeah, that's developed as well. We do. We've got our, our partners and clients' money in this, and um, and so. This is something we believe heavily in. Uh, we've got our money in there, our partner's money, and uh, they're super excited about it. And, and, and we love it because um, what we've done kind of with it, it, we, it, we've taken it. And with my institutional background um, with the firms that I work with um, is really taking a lot of stuff that, that John has done and other guys in the options community um, and taking it from having to make money every month to really positioning as putting it as a product in someone's portfolio. And that's really what we've done at Laker Capital, is that's why we have certain goals for the bearish fly. Um, and in certain environments, it's going to work really well. In a 2013 environment, it's not going to work as well. And we're okay with that. That's not what it's designed to do, because uh, it's designed to play a part in, a, in, in our partners and clients' portfolios. Mm -hmm. So um, basically what I'll do, and again, this is just disclosures, um, so just to kind of give uh, people uh, a background, if, if they're familiar with your system, John, of, of the bearish flag, generally you're going to go off of $50,000 playing capital. We go off of $100,000 playing capital when we do. So when we're doing 10 contracts, it's going to be off of $100,000. Uh, this is a fully mechanical system. So when we did the work, um, we went back 10 years um, and went through every single piece of data. What we wanted to do, and what I figured out again about uh, self-development and knowing yourself is I do better with the mechanical system. I, I thought that I really wanted to get into discretionary, but what I would do is constantly question myself and say, was that me or was the strategy? And so when we got into just making the mechanical system, I found myself be making being very, very um, a lot better trader um, because I wasn't having to make the decisions, and I felt comfortable because I did the work on the system. To feel very comfortable that if I if I just follow the uh, the system or uh, follow the path, it's going to create the equity curve I need. 
Now, saying that, we, we constantly look to optimize and constantly make sure we're, we're within our parameters, but it is a fully mechanical. It is model independent. So I mentioned this on the options tribe. I know a lot of traders, especially using OV or option view, have had a lot of trouble because they've been messing with their model. Well, within the system, when we first started out, we did have delta theta rules, and because we were using OV, that was an Achilles heel for us because if we're depending on a third-party proprietary model that we don't control that changes, that's going to change our data um, and everything that we back-tested. So we wanted to get off of that. And two, one thing we saw is because we're using a model, we saw that as, as trying to take a shortcut almost and not knowing our trade and our system well enough to get off that model. So that's, that's more work we needed to do. But we went back. And now the only thing that um, that allows or that is part of the system that we make adjustments on is the price of the fly and the price of the index. Um, and those are the only two parameters that we need. We don't look at delta theta or the Greeks because we know the trade very, very well. And you can tell me what the price of the fly is. I'll tell you where uh, whether we're up money, down money. I'll tell you where, whether we need to adjust. Um, and so that's, that's one thing that was a really uh, big deal for us is getting off of, of the models, um, which also allows us to automate the process, which we're working on right now as well. So right. I think one of the things people don't realize is when I came up with the bearish butterfly initially and the M3 trade initially, or, or all the M trades for that matter, they were all done without the use of option view or analytical software. Um, yeah, I mean, you were on POS, John. I remember you... Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, seeing one of your programs at Dan, and um, I mean, that's all you were using. And you were just right. kind of going by what the trade was telling you. And that's what we did, is went back and right. say, okay, when the delta theta is telling you this, why is it this? Where right. is it within the position? What What is it that the market makers are telling you here? And so, really just dive, diving into the fundamentals of the trade. Um, and so, a lot of work, and it took a lot, a lot of time, uh, but it was definitely worth it. Um, this is going to be our, this is going to be I'll just say a lot like our February trade. Uh, it's March expiration, but the calendar month of February going on right now. So, oh, cool. Yeah. So this is um, so obviously recently, um, and so uh, a, a basic entry um, uh, with the February trade. Um, and one thing you'll notice is uh, higher volatility. Look at the risk reward. You're risking ten thousand dollars to make forty. And when I say 40, I'm just looking at the tip here and the uh, most you can lose here. So one thing that we look at is we look at total position risk, meaning if this thing goes to zero, how much can we lose? And like I said, it, this is off a of plan capital of $100,000. So basically, we're going to lose less than 10% if this thing goes to zero and sticks. Um, we're very, very okay with that. Obviously, this is going to grow if you add tranches, but in higher volatility environments, the bearish fly is incredibly robust because the risk reward is so good. Um, and so, as everyone probably knows, the market has gone down. Um, and so, just a basic rollback, right? And so, rollback up the money, and, and guess what? The risk reward just got better. This is what I love about it. So, when everyone is freaking out with volatility and working from a position of weakness, we're in a position of strength. And we know, too, that, okay, this thing has gone down a lot, so there's a, a really good probability it's going to bounce, and it's going to bounce hard. But one thing that, unless you've traded the bearish fly a lot or really done a lot of research on it, you understand in higher volatility, when you sell this volatility and you, and you buy a, an $8 and $9 butterfly, you can handle that bounce, and you actually want it to bounce because you want to get more risk on. 
And that's exactly kind of what's happened this month is you've had a bounce. I mean, the last four days we've bounced 70 points. So um, this is the first bounce, and we go up to here. And as you can see, uh, adding risk, you're going to have a little bit more risk in the trade. It's about 20, but we're still about a 4 to 1 risk reward. That's fantastic. And then bounced again. And then this is where we sit now. So, John, you've traded bearish wise. Um, when I look at this position, this is an absolute fantastic place to be in a bearish fly. Um, this is ideal. You've got your risk on. Uh, the, the market's bounced, uh, which it, it could bounce more. It could go up another 30 points, 40 points. Um, that doesn't matter to us because, again, if we lose this month, that's fine. We'll just move on to the next month. But this is the position where you're going to be have your biggest gains. Um, yeah. and, and it's funny when you say some of your most uncomfortable trades are your best ones because I'm, it's not that I'm not uncomfortable with losing money. Everyone doesn't like losing money. But I know just from all the research we've done and all the live trades we've done that when we're in this type of position and the market moves back, we've got another you know, oh, 10 days, a couple weeks in this trade, you can make incredible amounts of money. And that's where the big gains come from. And a lot of people are uncomfortable with this position. And that's fine if it doesn't suit their personality. And for the longest time, I thought that's the way I was. But when I actually uh, are trading it, um, it is an absolutely robust uh, position. And the amount of volatility we sold with these butterflies, this line isn't telling the truth. This line, if the market moves up, volatility comes out, this is going to be, this is going to hold up a lot better than this, what this is showing. And that's why being model independent and really knowing the trade and what is going to happen you know, if the market moves up, volatility comes out, independent of the model is so useful for us. Um, just because it, does, it lets us not worry to the upside as much um, and really know our trade without questioning uh, the Greeks or, or looking at OV, seeing if it's right. But we know on a fundamental level what our trade is going to do. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, that's kind of where we sit. And, and another thing, John, to, to look at, this is, we did this through back testing. And I know a lot of people ask about slippage with live execution. Is all that's live a great, that's a great thing to address because you're dealing with yeah. big size too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're dealing with size, and I mean, our execution versus this is quite a bit better. Um, and in you know that may be the fact of of you know our executing and, and how we execute, but also knowing the price. Um, but again is knowing, you know, can I do this in size? And that's another thing for us, John, as well, is we're scaling this up to a very large size. Um, we work with, we're working with family offices, um, some institutions, um, obviously high net worth individuals, private. But so we need a trade that we can really scale up. And one thing that we love about this trade is it's very simple. Um, so actually being able to execute this um, and, and, and not moving stuff around intraday um, it was a big deal for us because we need to see and, and really be truthful with ourselves. Can we execute this at large size? You know, at five, ten million dollars, uh, fifteen, twenty million dollars. Can we do this? And do we have the products to do it? And that's why we had to migrate over to the S and P as well. Mm -hmm. So this is in the Russell. So we, we trade both the Russell and the S and P. Right, right. So, you, so yeah. Just so the guys that don't know, Ryan has uh, done some adaptations to run the S and P as well. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's again digging into the index and knowing it um, because it is a, a big difference than the Russell. Um, 
for sure. There's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences as well. Well, um, I, th again, I think when the, when the market's normal, the S&P and the Russell are relatively similar. They move similar amounts. They usually do similar things. The options pricing is a little different. But I think when you get in the high volatility environments, you get much larger moves in the SPX. You do, and, and it's interesting because you, you have to adapt the fly size to the SPX, um, which we've done through volatility. And we do the same thing with the Russell as well. We've got a volatility filter um, on both of them to where we will uh, make the, the flies larger if need to with the volatility filter mm -hmm. um, and, and in order to, to make the net a little bit bigger. Um, but, yeah, so it's going to be a little bit different. And, and two, in low volatility, they act different as well. And, and the S&P in itself has a lower volatility as an index, um, which is interesting because the moves don't, a lot of times, that's why low volatility, the implied volatility you're getting for the options is not, uh, actually, uh, the actual volatility is higher than the implied volatility. So in low volatility, the Russell is going to do a little bit better than the S&P just because of the higher volatility of the index. Um, so you know, that gets in a little bit more uh, of, of the mix and match of those, um, which I don't know if people want to hear that. But, um, but yeah, so and one thing with our trade is, is we're always going to be behind the market. We're never going to get on top of it because the way we utilize this trade is our, all our clients and our partners, they utilize this to do really, really well in volatile environments um, as really a hedge to their traditional portfolios, their stocks, bonds, things like that. Um, so we utilize this as a product for them, and so we have very certain goals for this. Um, and so that's what we were uh, aiming for and gunning for. Um, and this this uh, bearish fly is um, it's it's worked absolutely incredible. And that's why I mean, John, that's the thing is when you dig into this stuff, um, people don't realize the stuff and the work that you've put in to to create this and put the foundation in for this. Because again, we're just standing on your shoulders and just kind of tailoring it to our goals. But I mean, just figuring out how the butterfly works versus all the others. That's where the real work was done, and so applaud you for that. Yeah, well, thank you. And yeah, so one of the things that Ryan says he doesn't roll on top of the market. And originally, the M9 trade never really rolled on top of the market. It was always the original bearish butterfly trade was was t pretty much behind the market uh, all the time. And well, that's yeah, John. I mean, that's kind of what we did is just went back to your original M9. I mean, really, um, because it, kind of from what I've seen and. and working with Dave, too, because Dave is known to M9 as well. Uh, we may have different similarities, but in, in essence, it's a very simple trade, and we want to keep it at a certain point on, on the uh, position and on the graph, and that's really about it. And, and the big thing, though, is knowing your personality so you can execute it like it needs to be executed month in and month out. Um, because if, if you're going to watch this thing intraday, it's going to kill you, because the swings on these things can be huge. Um, and that's a good thing. We see that as opportunity, but there's no way um, I could watch these swings intraday um, because, I mean, this thing, you see the gamma, and it is, and we see the gamma as an opportunity, um, but if you're fearful and you say, I, I've got to watch this thing all the time, you drive yourself nuts, and that's why, again, we don't watch the market at all. Uh, we have one thing, and, and once we hit our point of like, okay, we, we see the market, we make a decision, well, actually, the decision's already made, we make the trade. Again, we don't even look at this graph. We have our P&L covered up. Um, this is what we have over our P&L. Just says focus on process. So we don't uh -huh. look at our P&L. <laughs> I love that, Ryan. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to put that in one of my presentations. 
I mean, it's, uh, it, we, we have it, it's, uh, it's... It's not the covering up, it's the focus on process. That is so, yeah. that's what you need to do. Fantastic. So, um, so, yeah, so generally what we'll do is, you know, we'll have our uh, OV screens and it'll cover up this part of it. Because we don't need to see that, you know. We just need to see the positions out there and, um, and what's happening. So what we did is we've got something that's going to... Um, it, it stays above, I can't remember the program we have, but it, um, it stays above on your desktop so you can't cover it up. So it says focus on process and that's all we need to focus on. As long as we do that, then the results will take care of themselves. I love that. Yeah, if you're the type of trader, and I get that all the time, you know, hey, I'm in a bearish butterfly and, and, and the market pulled back and I'm up like 3% of my playing capital, should I take it off? I'm like... If that's the way your if if that's the way your general um, psychology is working, you probably shouldn't be trading a bearish butterfly. <laughs> well, and, and one thing you said to me, John, was uh, pretty profound. Is I, I kind of asked the same question, and um, I think at that point, you know, the bearish fly, we, we've got a 50, since we use 100,000, so it's a 15 percent profit target. And you're saying, well, did you did you not think it was going to go through six percent? before it got to 15 or 10% or <laughs> right. 11 or 12. It's not just going to magically show up at 15%. And but, but it's funny, until you get into that position, and it's like, it's very, trading is very simple. And it's like, are you at your profit target? Are you at your loss target? If you're not, don't do anything. Are you at an adjustment point? If you're not, don't do anything. And, that, and that's, that's it. That's all it is. Um, but you've got to have the belief, the confidence, and the faith, uh, and the personality, and the emotional, and the psychological structure, and everything, just to do that. Sit on your hands, and you know Jesse Livermore said it. All the best traders said it. It's the sitting that makes you money. It's not the trading. I never worked so hard to do nothing in my life. <laughs> That's it. You know, and we've done the least amount of trading over the last year and made the most amount of money. It's unreal. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I have a couple of questions if you want to take them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, if one of them is just how frequently you trade till expiration day, or I would say probably, um, and if you go into settlement on Friday on your trades. So that's a how close to expiration do you trade question, I guess. Yeah, no, we don't come close to expiration. Um, we, we're out um, within three weeks of expiration. Right. And, 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 that was, and that was done, too, because what happens when you get close to expiration, your risk-reward, um, because the butterflies get more expensive, it starts going the other way. So we, we won't get below a one-to-one -one risk reward, meaning we won't risk more here than we're getting here. Um, and, and we've got exits um, prior to three weeks expiration that if we, if we get past that, we're out of the trade. Right. And when do you generally start? Do you, do you have a, a day you start? Yeah, around, uh, basically uh, we've got certain days, but around the 60-day mark. So it's going to be on a 30-day trade generally. Uh, around okay, <laughs> around 60 days, right. So that's fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that I like to do, and, and, you know, through experience, you notice if you do the bearish butterfly program, we try to pull you out of the trade 21 days to expiration. Realistically, we want to get the trade profitable and get you out because it, it, I, I would imagine in your back testing, Ryan, you found most of your disasters happened after, you know, within three weeks of expiration. Yeah, I mean, it, it's... it's um... You know, one thing that we found was through all that was generally when you're going to have your biggest losses, it's a terrible environment anyways. 
but identifying it's a bad environment, like low volatility environment, you're going to have big losses. And if you continue to try to like push it in a bad environment, you're going to get massive losses. And one thing we did is we just have parameters because with us, we didn't want to take an expiration because we didn't want to be trading obviously day or uh, throughout the day. So we had to put parameters on that prior to like expiration guidelines in order to keep us out of the bad environments. Um, so in essence, what we because we're not getting the money back during expiration, we had to avoid the losses prior to that. Um, so yeah, and again, not saying expiration trading is bad, not at all. It's just didn't fit our personality or the right. goal. Right, it's a, it's outside your goals, and that's, that's why it's important yeah. to have goals. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. That, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of traders who don't start the trade until expiration. Matter of fact, this guy uh, uh, had just, I have one client who started doing weekly bearish butterflies. That's what he does. Uh, I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, if, if I had, I mean, that's the thing is I could continue to learn about myself. If I had the wherewithal to do that, there's so much money to be made with a bearish fly post expiration. It's unreal. Now, you've got to get used to those swings, but... You can make a ton. I mean, John, you, some of your trades have been unreal. I mean, you've made 50%. It's unreal. Right. Um, you can control it, and you're very, very good at it. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. And it, it's not, you know, which one is better. It's which one is better for your – which one are you going to love doing is, yeah. is, is the better question. Am I going to love trading further from expiration, or am I going to love trading into expiration? And that's completely mm -hmm. situational dependent and person dependent. Yep. Yeah, nice. All right, so a question here. So you're sizing larger with higher implied volatility rather than smaller with high implied volatility. Is that is that true? And how does that um, filter work? Yeah, so we um, generally with our price filters, we, we generally are going to um, cut our losses short um, when, the, when the environment's not right. Um, and we're going to let our profits run when the environment is right. So in higher volatility, We've got certain uh, profit and loss um, parameters for different uh, prices of the fly because the price of the fly is going to tell us what environment we're in. And so um, that's really how we scale it. Now, we've, we've actually worked on and with some of our accounts, kind of our test accounts, where we do, we actually get bigger and push it during good environments. Uh, then we'll pull it back during bad environments with contract size. So it may go more contract, maybe double up in the right environments. And, and again, for people to know what the right environment is and long environment, I would definitely tell them, do the work and see, go through 10 years and see the different prices of the flies in different environments. Um, and you mean you can't explain it in three, set, three words? Yeah, <laughs> I could. But again, I mean, John, you would say profound stuff to me all the time, and it took me two years to figure it out because I had to figure it out for myself. Right. Um, and so, and when I and when people go through and do the work, you get so much more confidence in that. But that, and, and so I don't know if that answered the question. But yeah, we will push it in the right environments. Um, but in the wrong environments, we are cutting it short and cutting our losses as quickly as we can. And so our uh, max loss is going to be a lot less um, when we're not right, right, right in the right environment. So. Right now, you, now you you're not you don't have a VIX filter per se. You're using butterfly prices. Is that right, or you have some other filter? Yeah. So generally, we use uh, butterfly prices to tell us uh, what our profit tar profit loss target should be. Ah, and that's then, very interesting. Uh, and I think that's a very good technique, even in an M3 trade, by the way. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, but because I mean that's where you're making your money or losing your money. So we use that, and then we use a volatility filter, so the VIX for our S&P or the RVIX for our uh, rep positions um, for how, how large the, the fly we we need, um, because that's going to tell us. Uh, and there's other ways to do it. You can do average true range, all that stuff. But we generally use just a volatility filter just to see if we need a, a larger fly for the, the way the index is moving. Well, you cut around 30 or 30, 30 VIX. That's that's the number I find important. But. Uh, with the VIX, yeah, yeah. we um, well, we, we kind of we, we cut it up in, into um, 30, 20, 15, um, and then anything under 15. Um, oh, okay. So we've got different categories for the SBIC. For the rut, it's a little bit different because it's a little bit more volatile anyways, which is fantastic. Um, right. So we just kind of have a couple cutoffs there. Uh, but it is, and it, again, depends on your goals for it. Um, but yeah, uh, John, you've probably seen the same thing as, as we have with the VIX. Um, yeah, and it's amazing. When you're in the right environment, your, uh, your win losses, and you may not have a loss all year in the right environment, and then you get a 2013 type environment, you might have four or five losses. But then right. again, if you know what's going on, you're not, you're not upset about that because you understand why it's happening. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to have strategies that do that. And when you put that in the context of a business, you just have to be aware that uh, you know, you're going to have you know, any business, whether it be you know, Walmart, a flower shop, or whatever it is, a car repair shop, you have certain years that are very good. You have certain years that are kind of bad. It's just part of being in business. You're not an employee that, with a paycheck every month, every week anymore. Yeah. And here's the thing, John. It's funny you mention that because so the, the way we charge, we're only performance-based. It's the only way if, 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 if we don't make money or our clients don't make money, we don't make money. And in the industry, kind of the hedge fund industry, generally they're going to get management fees. Right. And um, so we're going to be very different in that. And so when we working with these other managers and being part of these conferences, that is something that they're kind of taken aback. Like how, how do you stay in business? Um, <laughs> right. and, and just like you mentioned, I'm like, Tell me another business where, let's say, take Apple Computer, right? If you stop buying Apple Computer's products, you're not just going to pay them to keep them in business. Right. They need to, they need to run the business in, in accordance to where they can stay in business even in lean times. That's the whole point. Or they need to find a different product and, and go that route. But for some reason in the finance industry, that is just unheard of. And it, it kind of blows our minds because we are almost like a, not so much a pariah, but we're on the outside, definitely, of saying, you know, we don't want our clients or our partners to subsidize us when we're not giving them the product because our product is returns. And right. so it's it's very interesting just the mindset because sometimes you feel like you're on crazy pills. Well, uh, I think I think um, your but, typical financial advisor doesn't care if the person makes money; they they just want to collect their fees. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. So yeah. it's just it's just it's a very interesting. Um, the industry and and uh, in in its whole, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. It's a pretty interesting topic. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting topic, and you know we have challenges when I have traders who come from a a background of having of working for somebody uh, going into trading, which is essentially going into a business for yourself. Right? There's a big difference there. So you can make a lot more money, but it's not it's less consistent in general. So. Yeah. Uh, can you kindly explain adjustment? points in SPX uh, slash Russell for different wing width size. Seems like uh, adjustment points are different from John Locke's Beerish Butterfly guidelines. Yeah, so that's one thing that you got to figure out is when you have a different width of a fly, you can't go by 
just certain uh, rules. You have to figure out, okay, well, what's going to change with that? And generally what you find is um, one thing you want to break down a trade is, okay, why is John Locke's rules telling me to adjust it this time? Why is it saying this? And really pull down the why. What's he trying to tell me? Um, and then once you kind of break that out, you can start figuring out, and again, this pulls down to your goals as well. Um, so for, for us, you know, we see a sweet spot um, between uh, the last or the upper short, which in this case you've got three tranches on, mm -hmm. and the break even. So with a bearish fly, you want to stick right in this sweet spot here. So we boiled it down a, a couple different ways, um, and but you can do it any way you want. So we want to keep it in, keep it in that sweet spot. You know, you could use the break even. Um, a lot of people a, don't call that the sweet spot, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you trade the bearish fly for a long time, I mean, when you see it, that is the sweet spot. That's where you want to be. I mean, it's because um, that's where you know um, that it's uh, that's where your biggest gains are coming from. Well, that's where they start, I, I would say, and then the market does what the market does and pulls back. The um, so I mean, it's um, and so that's kind of what we look for for our adjustment. This is where we want to keep it. But again, right. we, but we we want to be behind the market. We're utilizing this for certain goals. So again, if you if you have it doesn't matter what size your fly is. If if you keep that in mind, that'll give you a good indication of when we're going to adjust. Now we've got certain mechanical points that we hit um, that we're going to do that. But what I would say is, you know, if that's something you want to take a look at, go back, take a look, and for your own self and say, okay, what is this telling me? What is why is he saying this is a sweet spot? What is it doing here? Um, and, and do do some back testing and, and kind of see what is how does that operate because if you just keep that in mind you can make the the, the size of the fly seventy points eighty points hundred points it doesn't matter um, it, it it's all going to be the same it's all going to be relative um, for that and that's how we do it that's how we size it with the S and P and the Russell uh, we just want to make sure and keeping that sweet spot when we roll or we adjust just keeping that sweet spot so I'll kind of leave it to your I guess listeners to uh, to figure out for themselves because again we do it to, to where our goals are versus their goals might be different. They might want something that's a little bit more aggressive or on top versus right. what we're, we're utilizing it for. Right. Well, I agree with you. This is where I love to be in butterflies. That's why everything we have is bearishly positioned butterflies. So uh, yeah, absolutely. For the most part, I, I do I do agree with you. This is the sweet spot. It's just not. It's just seems illogical to some people because they like it in the middle. And like I said, I, I I'm uncomfortable in the middle. So that's generally yeah, yeah. what I want to get out. Yeah, because I'm only losing money. That's right. I mean, You're only losing money. But it's, yeah, I mean, that's, what what you find is the things that usually work are counterintuitive to what most people think. That's why they work. Um, so people think there's more risk in a bearish fly. I think there's actually less. You know, people want to be comfortable here. I want to be here. So um, that's kind of what we found with anything. It's like where most people are going your probabilities, if you go the opposite way, are at least better. So uh, a lot of the stuff that's worked for me has been very counterintuitive uh, to what I, what I thought at first until I dug into the data. Right, because what people tell you is what feels comfortable to them, and what feels comfortable to people generally doesn't work in the market. So. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so that's very, uh, very interesting. Okay, so another quick question here. Do you use technical analysis before entering the trade? Uh, that's a great question. So um, this is a completely mechanical system. So we actually, one of our goals was to not use any technical analysis. That's not because we don't like technical analysis. We do. I love it. But for a goal for this trade was we wanted to be able to automate it at some point. 
Um, and there can be some subjectivity to technical analysis. We want to take all subjectivity out of it and just have it data-driven. Um, again, that was just our, one of our goals for the trade, not right. saying that one's better or worse. Um, but, um, so no, not with this system. Now, I've, we trade certain things where we do use technical analysis, and John, I mean, utilizing the M21 system and everything is absolutely fantastic for this sort of stuff. But for this trade uh, and the system alone, no, we, we don't use technical analysis uh, on entry. Right. And again, this is a goals-related thing and a personality-related thing. If um, uh, you know, some people use technical analysis and have tremendous success with it. Other people, you know, maybe not so much because of their personality. Like you said, it's, it's, analysis is very subjective, and you can basically look at a chart and see anything you want, depending on how you look at it. So, yeah, um, and that's you, and that's been good a lot of times. I would find myself second guessing myself a lot, um, and and so again, for our goals, you know, that was it. Now we we still look at the charts and say, hey, where do we think we're going from here? What do you think's going to be going on? You know, and, and we can see where we hit a huge support point, and maybe maybe our system has us roll back, and we're like, oh wow, should we roll back here? But again, we don't question it because we know what it does, and whether it works or whether it doesn't work for that month, we know over time how it's going to operate. So we still look at charts, and we still look at that, but as that trade goes. No questions asked. It, it doesn't depend on a chart. Doesn't depend on a Fed announcement. Doesn't depend on anything other than our guidelines uh, that we put together um, and uh, and the price to fly and the price to index. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, uh, we have a few more coming in. I don't know how long you have, Ryan, but I'll uh, I'll just kind of throw oh, this. Good. Okay. Go. Super. We'll, we'll keep we'll keep it moving then. If a major volatility transition occurs during the trade, how do you treat the trade differently? Wow, that is a great question. That is, I love uh, it. Love it. Yeah. So uh, that that's the big thing with volatility is, um, you know, we talk with again, we work with some family offices, and and they're very uh, weary about being short volatility, and the whole reason people are scared of short volatility is because of the transition, not because of low volatility or high volatility, but the transition between the two. Mm. So the nice thing about the bearish fly is, and this is what we try to educate some of our clients on, is when you put this thing on, um, let me get back to where we were here. Um, so on a transition, if we're in a low volatility environment, the transition from low to high is going to hurt us. We are short volatility. Um, but the delta helps. The delta actually helps more than the volatility hurts going down. So you're actually going to make money. And that's the beauty of the fly versus like a condor, anything of that, is the, the transition from low to high you survive and you even make money on. And then when you roll back, now you're selling that higher volatility. So generally we have looked at and we're, we're actually um, in the process of looking at this too of like if there is a large, large uh, volatility spike and let's say we go from a 12 VIX to a like we did in August, should we extend the fly size in the middle of the trade? Even though we didn't start at a certain size, should we extend it? That's something we're actually looking at right now. Now, it works the way it is, but again, we always look to optimize. So that is a fantastic question to ask. Right now, the flies handle it very, very well. But if there's a way for us to optimize that within the trade, that's what we're looking at right now. So again, great question. Yeah, fantastic question, for sure. And let's see. does. Do you, does Ryan roll up sooner 
than bearish butterfly program since its typical max loss is tighter. And what is your max loss? Yeah, well, I mean, our, our, our max loss isn't tighter um, at all, really. It's uh, in certain environments it is tighter. Okay. So, um, you know, when, when we're in a low volatility environment, we will cut our max loss at uh, 5%. You know, if it's a if it's a good environment, we'll let it roll to fifteen percent. Now that's actually going to be the exact same as John's rules. We're just going off a hundred thousand versus John's program goes off fifty thousand claim capital. It's the same thing. It's just we're using a little bit more because of the risk tolerances of us and our partners and clients. So we're really actually not cutting it sooner, um, except if the environment tells us to. Because again, we're not going to expiration, so we need to cut our losses sooner. Um, because we're getting out, you know, three weeks to expiration. So when we're rolling um, in, I guess, low volatility environments, yes, we do have uh, certain things that's going to tell us that we need to roll sooner. Again, though, we're never, we're never going to roll on top of it. And again, if you just keep in mind staying in this sweet spot here, well, it'll, it'll, when you think about it, Ryan, right, in low volatility, your dot automatically leaves the tent earlier than it does in high volatility because your uh, absolutely. triangle's down. And that, that's the whole thing. If you just keep in mind that keeping the sweet spot, that really solves a lot of your win the roll and, and all that. And you can boil it down to whatever you want to boil it down to. But that's what we, if you keep it here, and it, it takes care of itself. In low volatility, you're going to go sooner. In high volatility, you're going to go, um, you're going to let it run a little bit more. And so... You know, it's just um, it's just one of those things where you just kind of want to keep in the sweet spot. I mean, the thing with the bearish fly is it's kind of counterintuitive because you want to lose a little bit because when you lose, you get to put your risk on because that's where your big gains are going to come from. Right. So, again, it's, it's a lot of personality of like, you know what, right here, okay, we're down and we're pretty much down a little bit on the trade. But this is exactly where we want. We've got our risk on. We're, we're ready to roll. So I don't want to be up really a lot of the trade. I want it to move up and hurt me, get my risk on, and then pull back into the trade. So again, it's something to get used to a little bit, um, but kind of once you see the results of it, you just want to get out of its way. Right. I, I mean, when we, we came up, when I came up with the bearish butterfly trade, it's kind of the concept of a directional trader, right? Because I came from a directional trading background, and you know what do directional traders do when they when they want to enter a position, but the market price is a little too high. In other words, they have too big of a stop they have to take before the market tells them technically they have to get out. So they don't enter at full size. So they're entering about a third of the size. So that the so when, and with the hope that the market will actually come down and test their support level where they can add in and get their risk on. That way, because that way, if they put the, 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 the trade on full size at that price point and it came down and had a normal support test, they stopped out. So in order to keep their risk reward in line, they're going to come in at a third level. And as the price goes down, uh, if, you know, assuming they're going long, as the price comes against them, they, they add into the trade until they get to the point where they get their full risk on, and then they can actually have a responsible stop number from there, right? So this is kind of the same concept coming in. So yeah, you, it, it is. It's taken, it's taken a lot of just the very uh, fundamental concepts of good trading um, mm -hmm. and, and putting them towards, uh, for some reason, a lot of times they're not put towards options trading, but again, it's just putting towards them, like, I want good risk-reward. Um, I want to push it when the environment's right. I want to pull it back when the environment's wrong. Uh, right. And that's kind of about it. Right, and those are things that directional traders do to improve their odds, and we can use those to improve our, our, our odds even more in, in market neutral trading. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, and I did it too. Like when you get in market neutral trading, like for me, like I traded directional, but for some reason or another, like my mind just went blank. I didn't utilize any of the, the fundamental concepts. Um, you know, then obviously started working with you, John, and, and kind of brought that back. And then, um, and that's what I kind of love about having a little bit kind of directional market neutral trading with good risk reward. Because a lot of times, you know, you, you're doing condors. You know, you're picking up dimes in front of a steamroller, and you're risking all kinds of money to make a little bit of money. And for me, that just that scared the it, it scared me. And so that's why. And even kind of with the M3, if you're going to have a little bit more capital outlay, not saying you're going to have a large loss, but for me, it would affect my trading emotionally. And that's why the bearish fly would work a little bit better. Uh, that's why it works a little bit better for me because I can keep what I'm comfortable with. If the market goes to zero, I'm very comfortable with that loss, even here. I mean, I'm very comfortable with this. If it goes to zero, if we have a nuclear attack, goes to zero, I'm comfortable with it. I'm opening up the doors the next day. And there's high volatility. So it would be a great environment for me anyway. So I'll be able to get it back. Um, that's so the other thing, right. Yeah. As long as you can survive the hit, you, uh, you're now in a perfect environment for your strategy. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's a little bit more robust. And that's what I talk to our clients about is, you know, I get people want to dampen volatility. I get that. But it's actually you need to have something that's going to be robust enough to embrace the volatility, and and take advantage of it, and and not dampen it. Now maybe it's a smaller portion of your portfolio, but something that in volatility and you know when the crap hits the fan is going to really eat that up. Um, and that's kind of the the position that the bearish flag plays. You know you've got it. It's a little bit more free swinging with the gamma, but that's an opportunity. And when you get in those right environments, it really eats it alive. So that's why we love it. Fantastic. You know, those, those are great things. Okay, so I have two more uh, thus far here. How do you figure out the real T plus zero line if the modeling software is incorrect? Is it just back uh, I'm not, experience? I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying the modeling software is incorrect, um, but I mean sometimes it's it's above and they change it. I just want consistency. And the, the, the way we know the T plus zero line is because we've gone through 10,000 trades. <laughs> and we know Love that. If, it moves, if it moves down a certain, we know where we're going to be. And we know, too, if the price of the fly, whatever the price in the fly is at, is that expensive? Is it cheap? And we just know that. And so we don't really have to look at the T-plus zero line. We just kind of know from the price of the flies they're giving us. Like right now, I mean, you're looking at like a 57-day fly at about 8 bucks or $8.50. That, I mean, that's not telling me the market's going to scream up. That's telling me that the market makers are spreading this thing out because they're seeing some volatility. So we just know it just from from doing it. I mean, kind of John, you, you said that. And again, I didn't understand it until I really did the work. But you said you give me the, the price of the fly and the volatility, and I'll tell you what I'm going to make. And that's about it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's that's one of the things that happened with Option View. We had a lot of people trading the M3 that freaked out. And, you know, it, uh, you know, we put the T plus zero line projections in and all this other stuff because they are useful if you have a good uh, analytical platform. But hopefully at some point people uh, notice certain things and they learn to trade without the analytical platform. You know, I was telling people when they changed that, I said, you know, what if Option View goes away and, you know, O&E goes away and TOS goes away and you don't have any chart? And the thing is, you know, I told you know I learned to trade this without the analytical software, and and it's just based on experience. I just know what's going to happen. I don't even need to look at an analytical chart. I can pretty much tell you, based off the price of the fly and a price chart, what my 
what my profits and losses are going to be and where I have to adjust my trades. And hopefully yeah, and that's, yeah, people that's can reverse engineer that. Well, and that's, that's the big thing with us, dealing with other people's money. I can't sit there and say, okay, I don't have options anymore. We've got to close our doors. And mm -hmm. so it took a lot more work to sit there and get off of it saying we've got to, we've got to know this thing so well, just like you, John, where all we have to see is the price and, and where the market is. And that's about it. But what that has also done is really simplified our trading. I mean, all we have up, again, we don't look at the Greeks. Uh, we don't look at, um, the only thing we look at is, is, okay, if we're making an adjustment, what's the, you know, the, the price, theoretical price, and what's a good price to get in? We do it and we're out, and that's it. And so it's, it's a lot more freeing. It's a lot more liberating to do that, but it takes a whole lot of work. And again, we're never going to get there, right? There is no there there. Like we're going to continue to work mm -hmm. uh, and optimize ourselves. Not saying we've 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 found out anything else, but I think John, like you doing it without the software, I think that was a huge strength for you. I think that's why you had to know it so well. And I think when you kind of peel away all the crutches that we try to use, and it gets down to okay, do the work and and really figure out and really know this thing, it makes you such a better trader. And it makes you a lot more confident, too, because when you design something from nothing, you can have the confidence that if things change, if you lose something, if the conditions change, you can redesign something from nothing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and do that. And, and I think that's a, a, a huge confidence. Um, it, there's a big confidence level from a guy who's maybe taking trade alerts from somebody for a couple of years, and the system seems to be working, and he goes out on his own right? They're going to have a certain level of confidence. And the other guy, someone like you, who said, you know, I came back here and I did 10,000 trades. I know exactly what's happening. I know front and back what's going on. If something happens, I know how to fix it. There's a huge confidence level, and there should be between those two people. Yeah. Well, I mean, any, anytime you talk to um, or read about the best traders out there, and John, I'm going to say you're probably one of those, is it's people that develop stuff on their own. They took what they were given, and they took, um, not saying they did it all on their own, they stood on their own. Right, well, you have models, them. you have people who've done yeah, stuff absolutely. before you. But absolutely, you've got mentors, and you've got people, but you sit there and you break it down on figuring out what you need, because, John, I mean, a big thing with you is like, you know what, I can't make 2 or 3% a month. I want to make more than that. I need to design a trade where I can make more than that. And uh, uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but that's where you came from. I've got a, I've got a goal where I need to make this amount, and, and on the trades that I'm kind of given here, I, it's not working. I can't do a condor and make that. So that's right. when you know the bears fly and all this started to take place because you had those goals. I had five thousand dollars, and if I was making two percent a month and I was relying on building that account, I'd still be there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So you had to get there. And you read any of the books of the best traders. That's the way they are. They designed. They they stood on their mentor's shoulders and they sit there and they designed something themselves, and they broke it down to the fundamental level. Um, and so, you know, taking trade alerts and stuff, that may work, may not work, but you're never going to be the best because you're never going to have a fundamental understanding of your trade um, and a personality. And, and, like, you know, you start kind of becoming one with your trade almost, which is really, really cool and having a good feel for it. Mm -hmm. Right, right. You're never going to develop the confidence unless you've done a lot of work on your own. Uh, yeah. And doing that. And it's fun. I mean, that's the fun part about it is designing it and, and figuring the stuff out on your own. Um, it's hard, and again, you know, I think on the options side, you know, um, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, because that's where the growth happens. And so uh, it is hard, but again, that's how you grow. 
It is. That's fantastic. And, okay, so a couple of uh, more questions here. Can you summarize the difference between my bearish butterfly rules and your bearish butterfly rules? I can, um, I, I can make a statement first off, right? When I came out with the bearish butterfly program, I'm trying to take um, a system that's going to work for a very, very wide variety of people over a very, very wide um, conditions, taking into account that they're using, that they're, um, they have these psychological issues where they kind of have to be on top of the market and they're not, and they, and they don't want these drastic drawdowns and, you know, huge flush, price fluctuations in their trade. So I took a, a trade, an M9 trade I'm doing, and I tailor it to those circumstances. In other words, I had a different set of goals than I had when I initially made the trade, right? Now, Ryan has more like my original set of goals when I first developed the trade, so he's kind of went back towards that direction and actually changed that a little bit too. But now I'll let Ryan speak to that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you, you kind of nailed it. I mean, this is something that, um, I, I'm not worried about this working every single month. This this plays a certain part um, within our strategy and in, in, in our client's portfolios. And so a 2013 type environment, you're not going to outdo the S&P 500. Um, you're just not. It's not designed for that. We're not going to be ever get on top of the market. So some of the delta theta rolls that may be in John's system, we're not going to have because that's going to put us too far in front of the market or on top of the position. Because one thing that we, we do not want to lose on the downside with this, this is utilized for a certain goal. And so just like John said, his original M9 was kind of the same way. That's kind of the biggest difference. you know. And, I mean, there's certain times where uh, if the environment's bad enough or the, or the butterflies are expensive enough, we're not even going to be in this trade. We'll be in something um, in, in a, uh, a bullish trade to where because the, every, the prices are telling us the environment is so bad even if the market does exactly what you want, you're still not going to make money. And if you do, it's not going to be a lot for the risk you're taking. Um, so I think that's one of the biggest biggest differences is just this is designed for a purpose. Um, and the nice thing is, is even with that, you're still going to outperform, well outperform, most anything else uh, over a, a certain time period. Um, but yeah, that's going to be the thing is we're not going to ever get on top of this position. We're always going to stay behind it uh, versus kind of John's new rules now, so we're going to be a little bit more to his original M9. Right, and like I said, you, 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 in, in the program, we're we're putting out a, a system without context as to what the market's doing or anything. You see a $14 butterfly, 56 days to expiration. Realistically, your best strategy is just to buy stock or do a bullish vertical or something like that because they're so confident the market's going up. That's probably what's going to work out in that market. Yeah, 100%. And even if it doesn't go up, John, it doesn't matter. You've paid so much for that fly, it's going to yeah. take forever for money to come into it. Well, you got to pull it into expiration because they'll never give you your Yeah, exactly. So the risk is just enormously more for your reward we're getting. And so, you know, right. that's that's the thing a lot of people ask us is like, okay, you're cutting your losses short. Well, what if the market came back? Well, sometimes it does. And sometimes we're cutting a trade at a loss that might have been profitable. But... Over time, us taking this good risk-reward bets is always going to pay off. And if we're in the right environment pushing it, wrong environment, we pull it back. And it's just a fundamental uh, basis of trading. So, right, um, fundamental, you know, as they call it, a truth of trading. If, if right, you make exactly. risk-reward decisions, you'll make money, period. Yep. Yep. Very nice, very nice. Uh, okay, so let's just see what else here we have real quickly. And we'll have to cut this out at some point. But the 87 crash was when Paul Tudor Jones 
uh, hold on a second. When Paul Tudor Jones made a lot of money, would enjoy seeing the video. Uh, really enjoyed your presentation. Focus on the process. Thank you. Wishing you the best. So I imagine she probably had to sign off, which is fine. Uh, this is great insight. Thanks for your time. I want to backtest the strategy. What is the most important matter I should be aware of during backtesting the strategy? Wow. Uh, I, this depends on the goals um, of what uh, you're trying to get out of it. We, we had certain parameters that we want. I mean, certain things we want to do. We knew we didn't want to trade it intraday. We knew we wanted good risk, risk reward. We knew we wanted a, um, I mean, generally what we were designing for is a hedge for M3, so that's the way it started out. We knew we wanted that. We knew we wanted a mechanical strategy. So these are the things that we wanted and tried to get out of it. And again, like when we back tested, I mean, I'll give it. So I, I've got Tyler who works full time with me, and um, we probably went through. I mean, I don't know how many times we went through it because we continue to hit roadblocks, which is great because that's when you start figuring stuff out. And you know, when you hit a roadblock. It's it's kind of if, you're, if I'm driving to California and want an interstate's closed, it's not like I'm going to just turn around. I'm just going to find another road. Well, with our goals in mind, with the back testing, that's what we we continue to hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and that's when we started to learn. Okay, well, why are we not making money here? This doesn't make any sense. Why you know we started out having technical analysis. Why are we not doing it and just continue to do that and do the work? So, I mean, I would start with the goals of what you're trying to get out of this trade. Um, I will say this, no trade is going to make money all the time, so go ahead and, and let that go. Um, you can make money uh, in every month, but you're probably going to have to be in different strategies on certain certain points. Um, so I would just get goals of a certain strategy um, and know when they're going to do well, know when it's not going to do well, and go from there. I mean, if you put three or four systems together that do well in different environments, that's actual diversification. And you put that together, you're going to have an incredible portfolio. Uh, yeah, yeah, you you really will, and I think this important point is, you know, you're asking questions that, uh, first of all, would take very long to answer. But you know, see, people ask me these questions too, and they want us to make this huge generalization. In other words, um, you know, there's there's different there's different things to do for different environments and different situations and to take that and generalize it in one statement would be very very challenging realistically yeah. the best thing you can do is go back and do the work on your own yeah do the work and start learning the environments I think that's a big thing how it does in different environments and how to actually uh, identify the environments once you do that and you identify the environment you're in you can find something that works right rather than focusing on trying to find something that's going to work all the time Focus on identifying your environment and know what works in that environment. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, and that's your M21 right there, John. Right. That is the M21 concept. It is true. Right. It, only we you focus a little more on technical analysis, but we can also use the concept in in the in the relation to what is the environment, for sure. What's very interesting is when you start really learning, and you've seen this, John. We talked about the 09 turn. Um, the market makers aren't stupid. They're not going to be left holding the bag. And so when they price these options out, like we'll, we'll look at uh, the, the months leading up to August of last year, the S&P options and the Russell options were being priced extremely well. They were being priced for a lot higher volatility levels. And so looking right. at, and like we didn't, we were trading it, but we didn't realize how prolific it was that they were anticipating higher volatility, a lot higher volatility, especially in the S&P. And when we're looking back at the, the butterfly prices, it was absolutely unreal because the actual VIX was at about 12 or 13. 
and the price of the fly was anticipating like a 25 VIX. And it, absolutely unreal. And so really starting to learn that and being, it gives you an edge. It starts showing like, man, this is really anticipating high volatility. Or as in 2009, before the turn, you start seeing, you've been buying $8 $9 butterflies because of high volatility. Then the next month, the market's lower, the volatility is higher, yet the butterfly price is $12. Okay, <laughs> what is this telling me here? Well, that's telling me that they're anticipating something else. And that's, it's pretty prolific when you actually start looking at it. It, it is, right. It, especially in that, in that 2009 environment when, when, when you start seeing butterflies pop in at $12, $13, at 56 days I mean, to expiration, the VIX is like at 35 Yeah, that, it just does not make, it doesn't make sense. And when you start looking at it, and that happened five or six times kind of throughout the 10 years, and it's like this, whether it, it's actually what they think or not, they are, it's a bad risk reward at this point, and should I even be in this trade? And just knowing that makes you a, a 10 times better trader. Exactly, exactly. And these are the things we hope people pick up on in the programs. Um, nice. Okay, we'll share, uh, will, you, will you share your acceptable percent of planned capital loss? Oh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean we'll do, in, in regular environments, um, you know, 15%, uh, 15%. Uh, in bad environments, 5%. We, we don't cut our loss or our profit target, but we'll cut our loss target uh, in bad environments. So cut it at 5%. Um, but the big thing is is identifying which environment is which and knowing when to cut that. Because uh, you don't want to, uh, you've got to let the trade breathe in the right environments. Because you will, I mean, you're going to go through some loss periods, but sometimes that turns into some of your best trades. So you got to identify that. And again, it's not laser accurate, but we just want to be on the right side of it uh, versus the wrong side of it. So, I mean, pretty much the same as, as the majority of the John's programs, other than we, in the wrong environments, when the, the butterflies are priced uh, too high for us, we want to cut it back to, to 5% for us, which would be, what, 10% for a 50,000 plan capital. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think that's a, that's a really great idea. I think that's a really great idea. Yeah, I, like I said, when we do the programs, we just don't want stuff getting too complicated. Uh, now, and that's good for our goals. I mean, somebody with a different personality, and that's another thing too, John. Your programs work done as is. I mean, really, if you follow oh, that sure. program, you will make a lot of money. I mean, period. Oh yeah, but, they're definitely profitable. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just does it does it mesh well with your personality or your risk tolerance? And a big thing is is knowing that and doing again we'll get back to self development is knowing the knowing yourself enough to really honestly what your risk tolerances are. Like for me, I kind of uh, I'll probably lie to myself a little bit in the past just to kind of shoehorn in my risk tolerances to to where I can trade bigger. Mm -hmm. But when I really got down to it, how I was trading it would affect my trading. I would get out too early. I would make bad decisions, and it all boiled down to my risk tolerance and, and really emotionalizing losses. And here's another thing to do, is being okay with losing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you're never going to win big if you can't lose. And that's, that's a big lesson to learn. Um, it's because for me, I spent a lot of time trying to uh, avoid losses. And because I would do that, I would never get really good gains. I would basically trade myself out of a trade. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of it. And, and there's, you know, you're going to get out of good trades and stay in bad trades, but... Over the, the course of time, you just want to make sure. I want to make sure that um, I'm, I'm doing the right things right uh, more often than not. 
but also a big thing is being aware of why I'm making decisions. Um, because if I'm making them to try to placate my emotions, you will never read a trading book that says that's the right thing to do because it's not. Because uh, you're just trading emotion. You're not trading right. your system. You're not trading your plan. So being aware of that, again, self-development, all that's about is just being aware of emotions and your psychology, your thought process. John, you cover all this stuff in depth. So I'm probably just repeating what you say. Yeah, no, no, fantastic. Thank you. And let's just take these two more and that's it, okay? And then we'll, we'll, we'll right. close up because I don't want to keep you here all day. Do you manage delta neutral positions based on Greeks or probable trend of the Greeks? And I'm assuming uh, maybe positions different than this position. Yeah, um, we, I guess we don't really look at Greeks at all um, right. anymore. Because that's what you were saying. You don't look at Greeks at all. Yeah, um, just because Which is I, a little counterintuitive because you've got all these guys coming out to say you're trade by the Greeks. Yeah, and, and, two, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't think it is at all. My biggest thing is, okay, uh, the assumptions of the model that I'm using, and if I don't know the fundamental assumptions of the model, if I can't um, rebuild that model, then there's certain things that I just don't know about it. So, And if it changes, what does that do about my plan? What does that do? So that, that, was, that was kind of what's happening. Again, Right. In reality, if you if you do use Delta Pay and all that stuff, you're going to be fine as long as you fundamentally understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Just for us, if OV breaks and we were relying on that, that's right. an issue. That's a problem. Um, so uh, again, I, I use Delta. I used Greeks for the longest time, and and on some. I mean, right now we're we're uh, doing a, a project and studying uh, calendar trades. Well, we're utilizing the Greeks in there because we. We're kind of we got to use that to learn. Um, now, right, right. You, you, I think you. Do, I think the Greeks are very useful in in the, in the learning process since we have that tool. We can use them. Absolutely, you got you got to use something, and uh, yeah. I mean, we use that. But so when we utilized our, we had delta theta rules at first. Well, then we started thinking. Well, okay. Well, if we need to get off this model, we need to get off those. But we had to start with the delta theta rules to see what that was telling us when we were adjusting at that point. Okay, where, what was that saying? Where in the position were we? How, right. how much we were down? All that stuff. So what, you got to start. El what else is happening when I hit that delta theta ratio is a good question to ask yourself. Absolutely, yeah. What's going on underneath the hood? Yeah. All right, and that, that way you can reverse engineer your trading to, to work without the delta theta rules. Yep, absolutely, John. Very good, yeah, I, lo I love that. That's a great thing. And let's see, the last question we'll take today is how do you do your butterfly volatility test, a specific width, short, uh, a specific width and short strike, and days to expiration at all times, uh, or do you graph this outcome? I think maybe you might be discussing, you know, how do you determine you know, whether price of a butterfly is good or not? Do you have a specific time you do it and a specific width? And that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, with the with the price of the fly, it's it's when we get in. Um, we got to see if the environment will get in, and throughout the entire trade, um, we've got because our exit parameters are on the price of the fly or okay. on our max loss, um, and so okay. we keep up with that uh, all the time. The price of the fly. Now, with the width of the fly, with the a volatility filter, you know, right. we just buy obviously because the sixty point wide is going to be different price than the fifty point wide. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I get you. Well, what we do is we use the 50-point as the baseline. Okay. So, yeah. So, because we're very familiar with the 50, we've done all our work on that. And generally, now, obviously, you could say, okay, well, maybe there's, you know, 60 points a little bit more expensive. We know over time that 
that they're going to pretty much relate to each other. So we just use 50 point as a baseline to tell us the environment. Um, and then with the volatility filter and everything, that'll tell us what size. Right. Um, that doesn't and, necessarily mean well, you're going to trade a 50 point wide fly. It just means that you're, that's your baseline. It, it, absolutely. That's our baseline. It tells us, hey, this is a good environment, which tells us, okay, well, if it's a good environment, then a 60 point or 70 point, it's not like if we use a 70, that's going to turn it into a bad environment. So, and so that kind of told us we don't have to learn all the prices for each size fly. We can just use the 50 as a baseline. Nice. And, uh, and now what we do is we um, equalize risk with what we, would have, what we would have had on for the 50. So, you know, for the 50-point fly at 10 contracts, okay, how many contracts can we have at a 70-point fly to get the same amount of risk out there? Um, so we're equalizing the risk within that so we're not risking any more. All we want is a little bit bigger uh, net to catch because the swings are so big. Um, and it, it makes a pretty big difference um, because a lot of times when you're having to roll so much with a 50-point fly, you've actually got a bigger 70-point fly that's just kind of eating it up, which is kind of nice. So Right, because, because you're not tomorrow. necessarily you're not using the uh, price point trigger. You're actually using when you essentially leave your tent. Exactly, yeah. So we, yeah. we exempt, again, staying in the sweet spot. So that's going to extend that with larger flies. A big thing that we say is not so much on the upside. It's when you get the volatility and it goes up, and then it comes all the way back. Um, and that's why having that larger tent of catching that um, makes a, a really big difference. Right. Very good. Now, um, just uh, uh, do you have a certain days to expiration that you do the test? or? Uh, Again, it's when we enter, so we'll have in entries at different times. You know, around right. the and and you're constantly testing it no matter how far you are from expiration, and you hit a certain price. Yeah, yeah. so okay. any time we do an adjustment, um, the price of fly is going to tell us what we need to do. I, I mean, not if we need an adjustment, but you will see, because that happens during a trade. In 30 days, a lot can happen in the market. So you'll see uh, the price of the fly go from $9 to $13. That's just told, you know, within a certain time frame, that's the thing too, obviously the fly's going to get more expensive the closer you get to expiration, mm -hmm. but you can see this is an expensive fly from where we were. They're changing, the market makers are changing the environment right now. If what it changes too fast, yeah, right. Absolutely, and that, you know, obviously it happened in 09, it happens in certain things when they turn the market up or turn the market down like we saw last August. So, um, and so we, we continually monitor that, because again, what you pay for the butterfly that's going to determine what you're going to make. I mean, so you have to constantly monitor that because again, if, if I I know it's if a 50 point fly, I know it's going to be worth five bucks, and I pay too much for it, I'm cutting out my profit. It's going to be harder for me to make money, and my risk rewards worse. So it's, that's all really it is. Is just really uh, it's, juggling it's that a, risk reward throughout the whole trade. It's a risk reward decision whenever you're in the trade. Yeah, and, and I and I yep. think that's like I said, I, we said that earlier. A good trader, no matter what system he trades, no matter whether it's directional or or uh, market neutral or condors or butterflies or calendars or whatever, is is essentially it's all about making good risk reward decisions. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. And and knowing yourself, and that's it. If you know yourself, you can make those decisions. You you, you can give you any system, and you'll make it work. I mean. Uh, I think it was Michael Marcus, uh, but with the turtle traders, you know, he said, I could print this in the Chicago paper and no one would follow it. This is a million-dollar system and no one would follow it. Right. And that's, that's the whole thing, is having the confidence in the system to follow it. 
and that's all it is. Um, you, you can take any one of John's programs, and if you follow it to a T, you will make money. You won't make money every month, but for the year, over two years, five years, ten years, you'll make quite a bit of money, and you'll outperform. Um, but again, they haven't developed it like you have, John, so they don't have the confidence a lot of times to follow it. And that's what it is, is, is the nice thing about what you do is you have a trade, kind of like the M3, to help people on their journey to learn about themselves. That's all trading is, is learning about yourself. That's why I love it. Um, and you, you kind of utilize that without them taking a gigantic loss and quitting, which is great. Um, so having that system in place in order for people can go on that journey and learn about themselves, that's all it's about. I mean, it's, if, if this wasn't fun to do, then I wouldn't be doing it. Like I said, I've been in other industries and made good money doing it. But you know whether whether I'm getting paid a lot or paying nothing to do this, I'm going to continue to trade. Um, that's really all it's about. Wow. Well, I'd like to thank you for spending the extra time with us. And this is educational for everybody. I hope everybody is listening to this. It was even educational for me. So um, it's wow, always nice. it's always great when you have you know your your clients that you've worked with and you see them come very successful to the point where they're trading even better than you are and they know more than you and then they filter their knowledge back down it's a nice big success circle um, and I'd like to thank you for that Ryan absolutely thank you so much for having me you're welcome you're welcome and it was, it was great having you and you know keep in touch with us hopefully you can make it to Hawaii we're still hoping for that yeah I'm still working on that um, so if I can get out there I definitely will because I want you know my wife is definitely on board. She wants, she wants to get out there. Yeah, so that'll be fun. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you there. Otherwise, keep in touch and please keep me updated with your progress. I love to hear success stories. And if you have any problems, Absolutely. of course, I'd love to help you out with that too. Perfect. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Bye-bye.